Hello, this is Jackson. On this week's episode, we talk to Joseph and Willie, the guys behind the Fringe show, There Ain't No More. Let's be artful. I'm here with the guys from the show, There Ain't No More. Um, and so can you introduce both of you really quickly? Yeah, sure. I'm Joseph Fletcher. I'm the director and helped uh, develop the piece. Uh, my name is Willie Carlisle. I am the actor slash writer. Awesome. And so how, first of all, how did you two meet and how did this process get started? Well, we met in Arkansas. Um, Willie was there getting his MFA in poetry and learning folk music from the hills. And uh, <laughs> Pe- People in the hills. Yeah, people <laughs> in the hills. Well, yeah. um, and I, I ran away from New York City to start a theater company um, uh, there. And uh, we did a lot of devised work, and Willie had a devising background, and there's not a whole lot of people with a devising background in Arkansas, so we scooped him up, and uh, we worked on three or four shows as part of this company, and then, uh, I don't know, it was two years ago, a little over two years ago, something like that, that mm-hmm. you, you started mentioning this idea you had for doing a show, and we were looking for sort of a project to do on our own outside, yeah. and um, that's how it started. But you talk a little bit about how, how the show came about. Well, I'd had an idea, I think since I was a teenager, that I'd wanted to do a show that was... Um, about an old folk singer's last concert as when I was um, getting interested in folk music there was always this sense that it was disappearing Um, and not just sort of disappearing from the planet because nobody cares about it uh, which is definitely a problem but also that the living vessels of folk music are dying and they know that they're dying Um, my father kind of instilled this into me uh, because he was a, a, a bluegrass singer and then, um, you know, changed careers midway yeah. through his life like a lot of musicians do. But then he also knew a lot of old timers that I was talked to or visited with when I was younger. So I already had this sense that, um, that this sort of beautiful oral tradition was something you're only in contact with for a little while. That idea kind of banged around in my head for about 10 years, honestly, really a good long time. Um, before Fletch and I started talking about it, and then I just started bringing in pages of the script. So, uh, <laughs> piecemeal. He had he had about like 120 pages of text, and he was he would give me like 10 at a time to look at. Wow. <laughs> um, well, it was a, you know it was a, it was obsessive. I'd been at it for yeah. 10 years. I don't think anybody gets the benefit of, and in some ways it's a challenge to have way too much text. But that's yeah, sure. where we started. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I noticed, especially, I mean, during the show, what I noticed was there were so many deep topics that you were talking about, and the delivery was so quick. And, I mean, it was it was so much information. I can kind of see how, you know, you know, cutting down the uh, amount from 120 pages, I mean, I can see that there, there was still a lot there. Um, and so what was the challenge of being able to narrow it down to what the show is in an you know, in its essence. I felt like the way we kind of put it together was Willie had certain things he absolutely wanted in the show, ideas, statements, uh, things that were important to discuss. Um, and so we, then we it came framed in the, in the story. So we knew how kind of how we wanted to end it, where he started, where he was going to go. So we started putting like things together. Um, so we knew we wanted to go to Vietnam and we know we wanted to do a hillbilly clown and we knew we wanted to say something about disillusionment from the war and, and how somebody could go from being very for something like that to protesting it. And, um, 
so we just put those like things together and then just started chopping away till just the most important things remained while while telling the story itself. Yeah. A big struggle was making sure everything was actionable. Um, my training is as a poet and a folk singer, so a poet attends to the poem, which sometimes is abstract and comes from, you know, nowhere, a vague feeling I had while rising this morning. Um, <laughs> or, uh, you know, a song has a, a one story that it tells. Um, but showing and, and not telling is uh, was a you know a thing because a lot of it was a lot of it wasn't written for the stage originally, um, yeah. and again this is a unique problem that I think makes the play both kind of um, unique and cover a whole slew of topics, um, but and something that isn't isn't normally seen on stage, um, but also some something that can be challenging for viewers um, mm. and um, we well, don't want to shy away from that too much. Well, and, and to give you kind of a, a idea so we're it's not just poetry or like spoken text like you would a normal play yeah that, that was brought in there but there's also academic papers interviews from people um pulling from other source texts from from research um so i, I feel like we we sort of combine these different voices using a device that allowed him to switch voice rapidly yeah um and so it was okay within the world of the play for him to you know go from being a yokel to saying something that was very academic um, sort of in a split second. So speaking on those topics, with there being so many things that you wanted to say, um, what was, I guess, without saying every single one of them, because there, there are a lot of them, um, what was one of the major themes that sticks out to you that you were like, this, like, there cannot be, that this cannot, you know, not be in the play that you're making? <laughs> I mean... I think it's funny because that's a, that's a discussion that we had in the rehearsal room every day, but the the two that we I'll I'll say one that we landed on together, and then one that I fought for by myself that's turned into a good moment. So um, one that we came to together was this contrast between um, folk songs that are um, sort of violent. Um, murder ballads, songs about oh, yeah, the, killing women. Yeah. Um, and uh, these songs were oftentimes in the tradition, um, songs uh, sung by women as warnings to other ones, or songs. Yeah. Um, and um, we wanted this character to have a turnaround, where at first he was at war, um, he was essentially, you know, pro-violence in war, which you pretty much have to be, yeah. to becoming a part of the anti-war movement in Vietnam. Um, and we use songs as a way to express that. So he sings a murder ballad, um, opining his lost love and uh, ostensibly um, wanting to kill his lover, and then um, sort of turns around and sings a, a ballad about a, a woman who loses her husband in the Vietnam War. Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, I, I mean, I was really moved by that because there was no instrumental to it. It was you, um, you have a rolling... Um, uh, panorama, panorama, yeah. yeah, and it's this this uh, continuous uh, drawing that you scroll through as you see the story, and there's no instrumental behind it. It's just you singing it, and that was a really powerful moment because it was just your voice and what you were seeing on this panoramic drawing, um, and it was very powerful. Um, Thanks. And yeah, I can see, I can see, now I now that you say that, I can see the difference between you said and, and even uh, it was I think it was part of it was um, you said I like this one because we kill her twice yeah and it immediately switches to 
you know, losing that person, mm-hmm. which, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a drastic turnaround, which is powerful. Well, th- well it's, there's a difference between the feeling of wanting somebody to die and them actually dying. Yeah. Um, there's a permanence to it that might change how you feel about violence in that moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so that got very sad. Yeah, but, it did. Yeah, it yeah. did. <laughs> but let's talk about uh, one of the things that w- makes it very unique um, in a fun way. Um, you play five different instruments during yeah. the course of the show. Um, and I'm going to get this wrong, but it's banjo, fiddle, harmonica, accordion, and something else. Guitar. Guitar. Yeah, the easy one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so why did you think that those five instruments belonged in the story? Well, the I mean, one of the answers is is that you you know you want to do this is my you know my first one man play I wanted to do everything impressive that I could throw everything at the wall <laughs> to see what stuck but the other part is I wanted this guy to be a folk singer at work, and every folk singer that I know inherits a bunch of traditions you know you try to be one character on stage and this is something that I think you know realistic theater does all the time is one character is comprised of all the lines that they say right yeah. but if you want to capture somebody's life in an hour especially a musician you know one musician it's very rare and even the ones that tell you oh I only play piano like he's at home messing around with another yeah. instrument yeah. you know what I mean and so, uh, you know, I think that there's seasons of life, and um, I think that uh, instruments and go along with that. And here's a man, we're trying to tell a long story. He should tell that story with a lot of different timbres and a lot of different emotional well, registers. And the different instruments also open up different nooks and crannies of folk music to us in the show. Yeah. So we wanted to, to represent a wide swath of folk music, not just do murder ballads or not just sure. do cowboy songs or do... Uh, X, Y, or Z, but and not just do stuff from Arkansas. Too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, um, and gives you an idea of the journey he takes, uh, along with the musicality of that journey. And it's to some degree, without having to look at an audience and say, "Look, there's a lot of different kinds of folk music," because yeah. most audiences yeah. don't know, and I don't, I don't begrudge them that. But the difference between accordion music and banjo music is, I think, very evident. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a learning curve, especially right as you get in there. Um, and each one had its own characteristics, which I liked. And it wasn't just that you performed them. It was that you were talking, you were basically going throughout the story, and every time you had an instrument in your hand, you'd be playing it not just as a performance, but as background to the thing that you are talking about. Sure. Um, and so which one is, is harder? to actually play the performance or to be able to speak the dialogue while uh, creating your own background music? That's a tough one. I think um, it's way easier to vamp and just play whatever underneath what you're saying. But I will say that um, most musicians that I know don't do it because they're better at music than they are at at talking good. And um, I... I really enjoy the vamping because it gives you a chance to that, that underscoring I think is is powerful and and interesting. Um, I think my favorite one was when you were playing accordion. At, it was very close to the end of the performance, mm-hmm. and it, you created an environment by yourself that you know normally would take two people, 
and it, it was it was I, I I was really impressed because not only were you speaking truth in that moment, but you were, uh, you know, creating your own background to it and creating a mood, not just by what you were saying, but what you were playing. Um, so when you, um, when you learned all these five instruments, like this probably was not a short period of time that you learned these. No, I'm still learning them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so out of all the instruments that you had to learn or that you learned and incorporated into the performance, which one was the easiest to pick up and which one was the hardest to pick up? Um, I always liked playing banjo the most. It was just easy for me. Um, it's very forgiving. Um, and then I, I hate playing fiddle. And I oh, think, really? Yeah, I can't. I, I, I don't hate it, but I, I have, I'm just in the middle of a, you know, life has seasons and me and fiddle are in a spec <laughs> right now, in a lover's quarrel. Yeah, I think I think the hardest in the moment in the show to do musically was when you get on the chair with the fiddle, because mm, yeah. because he's uh, the chair he's like behind the chair, arms wrapped around, and he's resting the fiddle on the chair itself and not on him. Yeah, that was and he, crazy. And he has the seat of the chair to contend with, like when he's trying to bow, so he's got to angle it just right. And, and this yeah, is to make it look that, like the mask is playing. Yeah, and or, and so that that took a lot of time to to sort of figure out and play with, and we tried a couple different songs there and. The other, the other thing I will say is, I mean, we didn't mention this, but uh, you play the same person, but when they were young and when they were old, and uh, the way that you show that this person was old was you wore a mask that was very wrinkled and, you know, obviously was supposed to be interpreting that you were older. And I will say I thought it was amazingly made because by the very end when the lights are down and he's having his, like, I'm going now moment, it really looked like an old person on stage. I mean, and, and I think it was because, you know, the mask is kind of like almost Phantom of the Opera. You know, it goes right it's to his head. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And I thought it, it worked so well to be able to convey that character, especially because of the skull on the inside. Yeah, you know, the, it, the opposite side of it is painted like a skull, yeah. Yeah. I will say that is an idea that I tried to shoot down over and over and over again. <laughs> I've said it. it's too literal. It's too literal. It's too. It's all got to be po deep poetic metaphors, but this, <laughs> but I'm really glad that it happened. Yeah. yeah, I think it had a really good effect. Uh, and, I, and honestly, I, I credit Octavio Logo for, like, like of course, really doing physicality, but Octavio Logo designed and made that mask. He's a, okay. a, a great artist from Mexico who's in Arkansas now. Um, who designed that for us Absolutely. and painted it? And yeah. Worked with us a lot. And we, you know, we did a, a silicone like mapping of his, like not mapping, but like a cover of his face to make the mask. And oh, he, cool! He just did an excellent and we, job. We gave the, our it. mask maker like, photos of old folk singers that had found their way into the play, and then he aged me, composited me, aged me into the looks of those old folk singers. So that is it was so like, cool. I mean, he did a yeah, he did a, I mean. He did a terrifying. He did a terrifying job. Yeah. A really yeah. good. <laughs> a really good job. Yeah. Um, and so at the very, uh, I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, oh well, sure, you can. sure. Um, it doesn't matter. Well, but, I mean, spoiler: he dies at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's come. Um, well, well, what I really appreciated was, you know, you ended up talking, and I think you mentioned this earlier about the oral tradition, and at the very end, it was the audience singing the song as he fades away, which was, first of all, beautiful. I thought that was maybe the perfect ending to that. I mean, it really was awesome. And so when you are uh, t 
talking with your audience or when you want them to be able to pull something away from the performance, what do you hope that they take away from it? For me, it's complicated. Um, like we, we dismiss a lot of traditional forms because they're old or, or distant from us, but they are directly connected to us. There's things that are deeply problematic about it, but also things that are deeply beautiful. Um, and I think the show gives you both of those things and makes you decide for yourself. So at the end of the show, you have the choice to sing or not. Yeah. And by singing, it's, it's kind of a, you're choosing to participate in your own history and to perpetuate uh, a tradition longer, or, or at least something that's beautiful about it. And you can recognize the things that are flawed or not so great about it. Um, but at, at the end, there's that, that, it's up to you. It's the audience to make that decision. You, we, we don't get to tell you what to think or to feel about what you just experienced. You're, yeah. you're, you're getting a choice at that moment to, to express your experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think of it the same way. I always want to make sure that I mention the caveat that this is, that it's a play about um, American vernacular hillbilly music, which is like, that's not a tradition that everybody inherits, but I do want to have a show that points out everybody has an oral tradition that they may have lost or may have been buried um, by, you know, modern life, by, you know, the, the fact that the McRib is back, uh, you know, <laughs> s swallows a good old tune or a good old dance or a good old story that you got taught. And maybe that was said to you by somebody who you would, in some ways would rather forget um, or, you know, um, from a time back from a time when somebody could die from polio. Um, you know, from a time that we want to move on from. Um, but if you want to, to me, I, I want audiences to leave with the idea that if you, that, uh, if you want to see what's problematic in or what's, what needs to be worked on in American culture, you don't need to look back any further than, you know, what, what one generation was literally saying and singing to each other. Um, and that singing those things together are ways to invent a better way of living is a way, one way to invent a better way of living together um, that uh, is separate from uh, institutions and corporations and uh, the violence that the first world inflicts upon the third to get really intellectual yeah. about it. <laughs> there we are. Really, yeah. I also there just want are. people to sing with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, funny, fun fact, the end of the show was also inspired by a Twilight Zone episode. Oh, really? Yeah, like the second one ever made, it's called Pitch for the Angels. Um, and we were trying to think about how do we actually resolve this guy's story so we came up with this idea of <laughs> he just does one great last folk song for everybody. Like, this is his last full measure of effort um, in his life. And after that, it's okay. He can go, he can go kind of in peace that he's, he's done the thing that he... It's also uh, steals. Uh, it doesn't. It borrows fairly liberally from a bit from a very from a well. Very, I say very well known, sort of well known folk singer named Utah Phillips, um, and we sort of smashed several ideas together. And that's kind of the composition of the piece: is that it's a it's a it's a pastiche about a man's life. Um, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the show. Um, are you guys traveling with it uh, to well, any we, other place? We are. Uh, we're doing Winnipeg, and then we're actually back in your neck of the woods at the end of August. We're doing the Indianapolis Fringe Festival. So. I am from Indianapolis. Oh, great. That's awesome. awesome. Great. Uh, well, yeah. I hope to send, send your friends. Yeah. Come, yeah, come check will. us out if you missed it here. Yeah, please. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Thank yeah. you. Thanks again, guys, for the wonderful interview. It was great to be able to talk with you about the process. And I will throw a quick shout-out to the Indianapolis Fringe Festival, where they are going to be performing again 
make sure to go see it if you can. Uh, update to this podcast, actually, and this show, this show, There Ain't No More, actually won a Fringe Award that's called the David C. Harriman Artist Pick, which is a big deal for the Fringe Festival, so even more reasons to go see their production. And that is it for this episode of the podcast. Make sure to listen to the final two Fringe episodes as they come out on Saturday and Sunday. Thanks for listening, and remember, have an artful day. Thank you.